Welcome to ASME's TechCast, bringing you the innovators, the innovations, and the issues that push the envelope of engineering. I'm Jeff O'Hare. In today's show, we feature Christopher Jewell, a professor of bioengineering at the University of Maryland, who will fill us in on the emerging field of biomaterials and the growing need for engineers who are capable and comfortable working with cross-disciplinary teams. But first, ladies and gentlemen, class is in session. Please welcome the professor, one of my favorite editors of all time, Mechanical Engineering Magazine's Alan Brown. And today, Mr. Brown delivers a few insightful lessons to help engineers, students, business people, just about anyone successfully communicate complex technical information to a non-technical audience. Take it away, Alan. The first thing you want to do is know who you're talking to. Whether you're sending an email, giving a presentation, or writing a research paper, remember your audience. When you talk to your peers, everyone has pretty much the same background. You can use specialized engineering vocabulary, torque, flow, modulus, math, and you don't have to explain every little thing. But if you try to do that with a more general group, say a product development team that includes marketers, salespeople, project managers, and financial types, you'll lose at least some of them within minutes. So let me give you an example. Imagine you're a medical device maker. You publish a technical presentation to establish your credibility and recruit partners. You do a different presentation for doctors that includes more background information so they understand the technology. But really what you want to do is emphasize the device's speed and simplicity. If you're speaking to potential investors, you also need that background information but they really want to know how it compares with competing solutions and also what the size of the market is and why doctors are going to buy it. Those messages are all about the same technology, but each of them answers questions that their particular audience needs to have answers to. The second thing I would suggest is begin with your ending. Why? Well, how many times have you gone to an engineering conference and sat through a presentation without really knowing the point until you get to the very end. Man, it's like describing a football game without giving the store until the last paragraph. But if you want to make an impact, start with your conclusion. What do you have that gets people's attention? Do you have something that costs less, improves performance, reduces maintenance, or turns a widely held assumption on its head? Tell them right away so they have a reason to listen instead of playing with their cell phones. Third thing I would suggest, use pictures and comparisons to make it easy to follow. There's a reason why people say pictures are worth a thousand words. And by the way, so are drawings. It's why engineers use them all the time. I mean, try describing with simple words to someone who's not an engineer, without using your hands, how a worm drive or a planetary drive works. Inserting a picture into a presentation or email makes a complex concept much, much simpler to understand. Comparisons also help do the same thing. If I say that a car's impact system deforms like an accordion, you immediately know what that's going to look like. Similarly, if I say imperfections in a composite can lead to cracks that grow like roots of a tree breaking through concrete, you have a better understanding of the threat that I'm talking about. The fourth thing I would say, make them say, wow. You know, we do amazing things. Engineers do amazing things. And you want to communicate your enthusiasm. 
So one way to do that is take everyday numbers and put them in a different perspective. For example, instead of just saying that a new turbofan engine weighs 350 pounds, why don't you say that you could walk into any gym in America and find half a dozen men or women who could bench press it? Wow, that's light. Here's another example. The Federal Aviation Authority says airplanes should be separated by five nautical miles. That sounds like a lot, but if those planes are coming at each other, the pilots only have 20 seconds to react. Changing the units from distance to time really makes you say, wow. And finally, the best piece of advice I'm going to offer you today. Explain it to your mother, assuming she's not an engineer, or some other non-technical person. Explain it to your spouse, your kids, the person sitting next to you in an airplane, or someone in a bar who's already had a couple of drinks. Note their expressions. You'll see when you lose them. And also, listen closely to their questions, which will show you where your explanations need work. So, I hope this helps. I'm Alan Brown, Senior Editor of Mechanical Engineering Magazine. Thank you very much, Alan, and we hope to hear again from you soon. With us is Christopher Jewell, Associate Professor at the Fischel Department of Bioengineering at the University of Maryland. He's the principal author of two new papers, Improving Vaccine in Immunotherapy Design Using Biomaterials and Design Natural and Synthetic Immune Tissue. Both explore the hot field of biomaterials research and development with a big focus on how cross-disciplinary teams of engineers and clinicians need to work together in order to bring enhanced immunotherapies and vaccines not only into the clinic but onto the market. Certainly not an easy task. Dr. Jewell, thanks so much for joining us. Sure. So before we talk about the difficulties of these two teams working together and what should be common goals, let's talk a bit about the new biomaterials being used in applications and solutions that we hope will deliver a better way to fight infection, cancer, autoimmunity, and other diseases. So with that said, what biomaterials and tools are we talking about? Well, biomaterials can be many different things. It could be um, a new polymer or something that's designed to give you certain features that would be useful in a, a vaccine or immunotherapy. It could be taking your own proteins or other biological molecules and organizing them in a way that have new, unique features. And it could even be using or engineering cells or tissues to give particular applications. So I think all of these examples are being used in this field of immune engineering, synthetic and natural polymers, lipids, self-assembled materials, and even more recently, um, integrating principles from tissue engineering. So using scaffolds and cellular materials to build immune tissues. Now, the features of biomaterials can really complicate the creation and design and the building of products and solutions like, say, a self-assembling scaffold, um, which is used for targeted drug delivery, or in creating the microenvironments needed to direct those immune cells to their targets, or even in creating the delivery devices, such as microneedles. So is this challenge something entirely new that engineers haven't faced, and how does it impact their work? Well, I think this is an important point. So, you know, a common strategy for a vaccine or an immunotherapy for cancer or another disease might be to take a nanoparticle and load it with some immune signals that generate 
immune responses to try and overcome that disease. For example, you know, a piece of the flu virus that will um, kind of challenge the immune system to generate a response. And what's been discovered in the past five or 10 years is that a lot of biomaterials actually have properties that by themselves, they can activate the immune system. So getting to your question, that means, you know, you might be able to design materials that carry your vaccine to the right place, but that also have features that help give you the kind of immune response you want. On the other hand, it means that these same biomaterials, because they interact with the immune system, they might alter how the body responds to the other parts of the vaccine. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, it's something you could leverage, but also something that you need to understand how the materials themselves are going to interact with the immune system. So it's safe to say that this whole new field of biomaterials is heavily reliant on a variety of old and new types of engineers. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, a lot of materials, polymers, lipids, things that have been used for decades um, in in more traditional drug delivery of delivering drugs that are already in humans, um, those same materials are very useful for vaccines and immunotherapy. But one of the differences is that the immune system is designed to detect and destroy or react to foreign materials. So now those those biomaterials, they're, you know, assisting in the, these new vaccines and therapies, but they're also actually able to manipulate the immune system. And that's something that has to be considered more so than it has been in the past. And so that, just from that initial um, difference, that brings in a lot of different kinds of expertise that are needed mm-hmm. to try and solve some of these problems. So expl- explain some of that. What roles do engineers play in this new development, the creation, the delivery of these types of applications and solutions that we've been talking about? So I think if, if we generalize a little bit, you know, if, if you're trying to develop a new vaccine or immunotherapy, the um, cl- clinical folks probably have, generally speaking, a, a better understanding of what's needed to actually treat the patient, whereas the technologies that are needed to help achieve those goals a lot of times are better uh, suited for the kinds of problems that engineers are used, used to tackle. So um, that's one aspect that you have a, such a broad range of expertise that are needed, it's hard for any one person to really have all of those skills. Secondly, a lot of the problems that we've solved, you know, there have been tremendous gains for patients that have diseases and also prevent, preventing disease from, in patients with vaccines. So in some ways, some of the easier problems have already been solved. And so emerging and persisting pathogens, malaria, HIV, Zika, cancer, um, autoimmune diseases, a lot of these are more complicated and they really need more sophisticated solutions. So that's the second reason why um, we're seeing more and more uh, collaboration between fields and broader sets of expertise to try and address some of these problems. What type of engineers are we talking about that this new field of biomaterial needs? Yeah, I mean, I think that... um, you know, there, there are essentially all the fields of engineering are involved in tackling some of these problems, everything from, you know, on, on one hand, you have uh, chemical engineers and bioengineers who are very focused in, in, in some of these applications in developing materials themselves and in figuring out, you know, also tools or systematic approaches to understand how well these new materials are working for a given application. You also have, you know, in the mechanical engineering field, for example, there's a a huge field of evidence that, you know, the mechanical properties of biomaterials have a large impact on what kinds of biological responses occur. And this is becoming evident also in um, the interaction of the immune system. So not just developing material with a certain 
you know, chemical structure or stability, but understanding, you know, what are some of the properties, the stiffness, modulus, and how is this going to impact the ability of immune cells to interact with or to infiltrate or process some of the materials in these scaffolds or in vaccines or immunotherapies. Is biomaterials creating the need for new types of engineering skills or new types of engineers that, you know, maybe we haven't quite heard about yet or that maybe weren't needed in the past? I think it's it's kind of helping to define a little bit the role of, um, and this might not just be in the immune engineering, but a little bit more broadly, um, d- define the role of bioengineering and biomedical engineering because it's basically driving a need for folks that have broader training across both sort of the, the medical and biological and the engineering side. You certainly have an electrical engineer, a mechanical engineer, a chemical engineer, You've got people working in those areas that are working in different fields, but I think the more evidence that's accumulated and the more need for these cross-disciplinary skills, it helps to kind of create and establish the more formalized programs that are providing this broad set of training. Now, has that need or the influx, this new influx of engineers into the biomaterials industry, has it created any particular gaps? Start with, is there a talent gap to fill these roles? That's a good question. I don't, I don't know if there's a talent gap or if it's like getting people to recognize the power of bringing these skill sets together with people that not just bringing together an engineer with a biologist or an immunologist or clinician, but bringing together people that might be trained in these different areas, but know enough about, you know, their, their own respective field plus the field that they're trying to collaborate in that they can talk effectively with each other. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the main criteria making sure people have enough expertise in, um, you know, they're going to be experts in their own field, but also get enough expertise in the field they're collaborating with so that when they are interacting with their their colleagues in these other fields, an immunologist, for example, or a clinician, that it's an efficient communication. And that's really how you can bring the skills together and kind of mesh things to do things that you couldn't do alone. How do you think the best way to do that is? How do, how do you do that? Because you have people coming in from kind of completely different industries, coming from completely different spectrums, expected to communicate, expected to work together, yet many times they're speaking a different language. How do you, how do you close that communication gap? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. I think first it's trying to build some visibility and acceptance that there is value in collaborating. It seems kind of obvious, but I mean, you know, I'm, I've, I'm a associate professor. I've been running my own lab for about six years. And just from starting my lab until now, you know, when I first was getting started, I, I would run into people all the time that would either be an engineer and kind of discounting, oh, the clinical folks, they don't really, they're not, they're using very old technology or a clinician, you know, maybe that's like, oh, that's just an engineer. They don't really understand the problem. Um, and there's been a big shift just in the last few years. I think that people are a lot more excited and interested in working and tackling these tough problems. So I think that's one thing to try and keep growing that idea. And then when you have collaborators and teams, I think making sure you invest time to understand each other's science, because that's, you know, just like anything else, you, you have to invest time reading about or thinking about or talking about or Googling or whatever you're going to do to learn about the other areas. I think, you know, I try to build in time to actually read some of these other things that aren't my area of expertise. And then I think trying to maybe from the you know, professional societies or funding agency side, trying to have funding mechanisms and conferences and other events that make people work together. Um, yeah. I was at a, a small conference recently. They basically invited half engineers and half immunologists 
and each person gave you know, about five or six slides, but they had a 30-minute block of time. So there's tons of discussion around that person's research. And because it was half engineers and half immunologists, it was really cool just the ideas and cross-fertilization that was happening. So I think those are some of the things that, you know, kind of in my mind are useful in getting people to work together effectively. And that brings us up to something you wrote that is one of the most important needs in the biomaterials industry, and that's to the need to create design rules for selecting materials that enable, say, efficient, rational strategies to speed up, to accelerate the translation um, to the clinic. Can you describe a little bit what you mean by that and what challenges need to be overcome to effectively execute that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of aspirational. It, it's, a, it's a really broad idea, and it's kind of you know, summarizing it like, right now, if there's a, a problem for a certain disease or you need a vaccine, essentially, you know, you think about what's been done and you try and pick a recipe that's going to give you the immune response you want to, you know, prevent a tumor from coming back or to combat a certain emerging pathogen, whatever virus or, or bacteria you're talking about. But it's not very efficient because you have to design it and then you test it and then you might, it doesn't work, so you go back and you modify, you test it again. I mean, it's how things are done, but it'd be much better to say, I need an immune response with, you know, characteristic X and characteristic Y and characteristic Z. And these are the components and the doses and the ratios and the chemical structure and the biomaterial that I use to get that response. So I think it'll be a long time before we get to something like that. But the, the idea is that we try to generate more rational ways to think about problems and then to come up with vaccines and immunotherapies that aren't going to require a kind of empirical testing approach. So um, some of the there's a lot of interesting work that people are doing to try and come to tackle these problems. One is just understanding better, like why is it that certain immune signals are integrated in a way that gives a certain response versus a different response? Another is what kinds of changes do biomaterials introduce that, that might change immune response? So does a biomaterial work better because help a vaccine or immunotherapy work better because it just delivers the components longer for controlled release? Does that, is that what it is? Is it because they somehow help the immune system recognize the vaccine immunotherapy more effectively? Um, so really trying to understand some more basic knowledge, I think, is one important piece. Second piece is to try and use biomaterials to enable new tools, and those tools might help us understand how to better design vaccines and therapies. So, for example, in one of the review articles, we, we have a section that's on using biomaterials to build kind of on-a-chip technologies that mimic pieces of the immune system. So if you have a patient that has a, a cancer a tumor and you are trying to figure out what kind of drug regimen or immunotherapy to give them, it'd be really great if you could test it on a chip, see which immunotherapy works better, and then give it to the patient. So we don't really have tools like that that exist yet, but um, you know, there's lots of work being done, and we highlight some of that, the really cool examples in the, the paper, and that would really help the efficacy and the safety of drugs for, for cancer patients. So that's just one example. Great, great examples, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And thank you for tuning into ASME's TechCast. Make sure to listen to our next episode. We'll speak with Ovijit Chaduri, Assistant Professor of Mechanical Engineering at Stanford University, whose team recently discovered that some cancerous cells, particularly those in the breast, actually use physical force to break through the membrane and become invasive, as opposed to using strictly chemical means. The work can lead to future ways to prevent cancer cells from spreading. I'm Jeff O'Hare. Thanks again for listening. 
Thank you.